Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited to kind of connect the dots here. If you guys have been with us since the beginning, we've uh, we've been a huge advocate for Squares Golf and their shoes. And I'm sure if you followed us, you've watched our YouTube reviews of Squares Golf. And, and this is kind of connecting the dots of the Squares community, if you could say. Uh, some professional players are really starting to get behind the Squares Golf shoe. And one of them being Camden Morrison, a Symmetra Tour rookie uh, from the Massachusetts area. I know she's not in the cold weather now, but she's, uh, she's still a representative of the Northeast and we're happy to have her on the show. So Camden, thanks for joining us. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, from the Northeast and repping the squares. Repping the squares, the, the, the squares to the square toed shoes, which I'm sure we'll get into later has qu- kind of been, I think all the crates in the industry here. Uh, they've got that awesome new commercial on the golf channel. I know since we've kind of helped them, you know, advocate when they first launched to, to now where you're seeing their, their big episode almost with Nick Faldo and everything on the golf channel. What's it like? I mean, you know, we'll just dive right into it. Your relationship with, with the owner has been pretty neat to say the least. What's it been like to kind of see the progression of squares and, and be a part of that yourself? Yeah. So I met um, Bob through the course that I was working at this past summer, um, Ipswich country club. And he was a member there and I didn't really know anything about squares. I didn't really know anything about his company. I didn't really know much about him, but through talking to him and playing golf with him and um, Nick Bradley, you know, he kind of was like, Hey, I really believe in you. And I have these shoes and I really want to kind of give you an opportunity. And I was like, okay. And, you know, he had given me a pair of shoes my first day of work. And I was like, he literally came into the shop and he was like, Hey, you want a pair of shoes? And I was like, sure. <laughs> of course. Never turned out a pair of shoes. The crazy guy yeah. offering you a random pair of shoes. All right. Yeah. It was, it was pretty funny. So then I was like, okay. And I had foot joys at the time. So I was kind of going back and forth. I'd put them on a couple times, practice with them and then kind of go back to the foot joys. I was bopping back and forth. Um, but then, you know, Bob and squares kind of approached me after we had played some golf and he was like, like I said, you know, I really believe in you. I want to give you an opportunity. I know that, you know, you're missing that competition aspect and I want to help you and I want you to wear the shoes. And I was like, okay. And as soon as I wore them in competition, game changer, I will never take those shoes off. I love them. I mean, the support, the stability, everything I get out of them is unlike any other golf shoe I've put on. And, you know, I'll never not wear those shoes. So, and then, you know, through working with Bob and working with squares, he's always been super approachable. If I have a problem, I can reach out and call him or I can call him after my tournament and be like, Hey, I played great. Or, Hey, I didn't play so good. And he like genuinely cares about my performance. He cares about his product and he just, he just cares about the people that, wear his shoes and he just loves it. So he's, he's an amazing, amazing person to uh, be on his team. Well, let's talk about that too. When, when you put these shoes in competition, when, when was that in the timeline of things? And, and was it right around the time um, you played in the Hartford women's open? Was it, was it right around that time in August or a little bit before then? And no. So it was actually after that. So I didn't wear the shoes until like in competition until I was in Louisiana. And that was when I had moved down to Florida for the winter and we had kind of talked and he was like, yep, put them on where I'm wearing from now. And I was like, okay. So I put them on in that, in that tournament. And, you know, I picked up 10 yards of carry 
And I was like, what? And I already hit it very far. You know, if I was on the LPGA tour or whatever right now, I would be top five, if not top three in driving distance. Like my swing speed is off the charts. So to go into a competition and then all of a sudden pick up an extra 10 yards out of the blue, it's kind of like, oh boy. Now you're like just trying to play with it and figure out like trust the number. Do I hit the nine iron? Do I hit an eight iron? I don't really know. So, you know, I was kind of learning on the fly and I had called my coach soon after that. And I was like, hey, you know, I picked up 10 yards in Louisiana and she was like, okay. And she was like, I was like, uh, maybe it's attributed to some other factors. I don't really know. She's like, no problem. Like when you get back, we'll just put you right on track, man. So I went in, I saw her, her name's Alana Swain. She works out of the performance center at TPC Sawgrass. And we were in one of the hitting bays, which is very controlled. We put on the track, man. And I'm just pick up my eight iron and I go watch this. I start ripping, ripping balls. And we were glued to the, to the TV screen and the numbers. And it was like 165. 166, 164, 163, carry with an eight iron. And she was like, well, wasn't Louisiana. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> wasn't quite talked- that, that Bayou magic down there. Yeah. So then I, I called Bob and we had talked and I was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I picked up 10 yards. And he was like, well, you know why? And I was like, I think I'm rotating more. And he was like, no, it's the shoes. And then he explained the science behind it and everything. And and I was like, that makes sense because how you generate power is how you use the ground. And what squares does is it allows you to use the ground without having to train for it. Like Alana and I train to use the ground and to learn to use it to get more swing speed. Now anybody can put on these shoes, not have to train for it and pick up a couple mile an hour of swing speed here and there and you know, just go out and play. And, you know, it might not be like that for everybody, but it definitely makes a difference. And they're definitely, you know, a really solid product. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that the like kind of shock and awe moment, because <laughs> when you hear that, you hear it from so many companies, oh, it'll give you this much yards. It'll give you that many yards. And it all sounds, you know, gimmicky. It sounds like, all right, that mm-hmm. might just to be too good to be true. How many companies can release more drivers that give you an extra 10 yards every year it just seems like you know a little bit of you know i don't know what other word to call it other than gimmick but when, when you put the proof in the numbers like you did with the track man it, it becomes astounding that simple something as simple as shoe design and that, granted it's not simple because there's a ton of science behind it but something as simple as putting a different pair of shoes on creates a lot more stability and a lot more yardage in in a golf game it, it becomes wild to realize how minute differences can really change the entire golf swing and the golf numbers at the end of the day for sure for sure and they're just they're such a stable shoe. I mean, you put them on and you feel like you can just swing with so much confidence because you know, you're like not going to fall over if you swing hard. And I think that's a problem with a lot of shoes that you see today is they, they go more for the, uh, the fashion rather than uh, what's the um, basically what they're meant for. I mean, the game has turned into a lot of, more on fashion which is fine i mean i'm not knocking that but again when you're looking at performance based and you're like all right what's another factor that i can study and utilize within my game if i say i've maxed out my bag it's like well where else can i get it what say if you take the gym away from it and you're like well why don't i look at what's i'm putting on my feet i mean because 
think about it. I mean, you're out there playing 18 holes, you're grinding out there and anywhere from four to five and a half hours standing on your feet all day. So why not look at, all right, I'm going to take a shoe that is great on the performance side of things, but also on the comfort side of things that can help me, you know, stay ahead of the competition. I mean, that's, I've noticed that too. Like you said, with the stability, that's like one thing that you have to, when you're playing, you know, golf, I mean, sometimes like you're saying with like the power, right. If you're playing with like a tennis shoe or whatnot, now your, your feet are technically sliding with like, say most shoes are kind of like a mesh around your mm-hmm. foot. You're sliding all over the place, but you may not even think about it. Like I've noticed when I put my feet in like the, uh, in the square shoes, it's so stable that you're like, wow, you can actually feel the force, the extra force that you're getting. And it just, it just turns into a whole nother level of where you can elevate the performance of your game just by putting different things on your feet. Yeah, absolutely. And I recognize the same thing. And that's why I said, uh, you know, I'll never not wear these shoes. These shoes are next level. I love it. I love it. Well, there's your uh, guys for everyone who's listening. There's your nice 15 minute intro <laughs> slash squares product read slash, uh, you know, sales pitch for squares. Um, let's unpack kind of the before story to how you, you know, kind of transition to wearing the shoes all the time and, and playing where you're at today. You know, you weren't always that tour caliber player. And I think this is what kind of makes your story really awesome to hear and, and, and kind of, you know, hone in on is, is let's talk about, you know, the high school days and what led you up to playing competitive golf and how you're chasing it now, you know, where did you begin the love for the game and how did it really all start down this journey? I'm laughing because it's so true. <laughs> and it's funny because truth be told, and I'm being hundred percent honest when I was young, I, and like in high school, I was bad. <laughs> and I picked up a golf club when I was 12. And prior to that, I watched it on Sundays with my dad and I was fascinated by golf. I was fascinated by the crowds. I was fascinated by, you know, hitting something so small into a hole that was so small and so far away. I mean, I was fascinated by the beauty of all the golf courses. I was just so interested in it. And, you know, my parents believed that they didn't want us to play sports until we got older. And it made sense because they just didn't want us to get burnt out. So when I was 12, my parents put me into a golf camp and my dad sent me with a set of my great grandfather's clubs, which were wood woods and iron irons in a canvas quiver so I show up and I'm trying to swing these clubs and they're just so heavy and one guy approaches me he played on uh, the PGA tour his name is Jim Hallett he was helping at that junior clinic that day and he goes your swing is amazing mind you I had not made contact with a ball yet and we were about half an hour into this clinic and I looked at him and I was like what are you talking about and he was like, no, you don't understand. You have a natural golf swing. Like you, you have so much potential. He's like, I want to give you a free lesson. And I was like, okay. And he was like, let's call your mom. So I called my mom and I was like, Hey mom, like this guy wants to give me a free golf lesson. And she was like, okay, well let's meet him. Let's talk to him and see what this is all about. So he kind of, then that was kind of what really started to get the ball rolling. And I had always said at 12, I was like, I'm going to be a professional golfer. And both my parents were like, okay, kid, do your thing. Um, now I didn't come from a family with money. I didn't grow up at a country club. I got 
my ability to practice and play at courses by getting jobs there. So I got my first job when I was 13. I was shagging balls for the head pro during his clinics so that I could hit balls and practice and do all that. And then I started cleaning carts at that course. And, you know, my parents would drop me off at eight o'clock in the morning and they wouldn't pick me up until the sunset. Like I was there all day long. And keep in mind, I was not very good. I just loved it. I just loved being there. I loved being out there. And, you know, in high school, I started to get a lot better. I still wasn't that great. I played on the men's team because Millis High School didn't have a girls team. Um, And, you know, I never made it to a state championship. I never qualified. I would always go out and choke and shoot like 99 and miss it by one. And like, (laughs) just like, what is going on? But I was always really strong and I would always hit it really far. So now I got my opportunity to play at Franklin Pierce University because the golf coach was starting a new, a woman's program. And he happened to be walking by the ninth green as I was coming down the fairway. And I hit a sand wedge from like 92 yards and I ripped it back like six feet. And he wasn't even there. He was there to see somebody else. And he saw that and he was like, oh my God. And then he looked my name up and I like finished probably close to dead last, like shot another 98 or something. But he reached out. And at the time I had only had one other offer and it was to a division three school. And he had called me and he's like, Hey, you know, I really believe in you. I think you have a ton of potential. You hit it so far, you know, you're so strong and I want to give you a chance. And I was like, okay, sure. So I went to Franklin Pierce, played my freshman year. You know, my average was about 86. I didn't really do much. Um, But when we had our end of year meeting, he was like, listen, Camden, he was like, you're, you have the potential. You just need to play more. I was a range rat. He was like, you need to play more. You need, something needs to change and you need to, you need to learn course management and you need to learn when to hit your driver and when to not hit your driver pretty much. Cause I just wanted to hit it as far as I could. And so then I came back sophomore year and I was super fired up. I just played all summer long. I barely went to the range and I went out and I think I won maybe four five individual titles that year um and just missed the cut to go to the regionals um by half a stroke because it was by like selection and based on your average and everything so then that summer I was even more motivated than I was the previous summer and I went out and I just worked so hard I think I lost like 20 pounds in three months like turned it into muscle I was working out every day I was you know so focused I tried to play in as many tournaments as I could and came back and I just started winning tournament after tournament after tournament. And it was almost like a joke. Like I would come home from a tournament room and just be like, Oh, how'd it go? Did you win again? And I was like, yeah, or no, I finished second. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, come on. Um, I ended up making it to regionals that year by a landslide. Like I wanted to go into that year, having there be no doubt that I was going to be the individual choice. If my team didn't make it, I was going to be the number one individual going like no matter what. And I got that. And then I was talking to my assistant coach as we were flying out. And I was like, what would I really have to do to go to nationals? And he was like, well, you just, you just got to play decent for three days. Like you don't have to shoot under par every day. Like you just got to go out and shoot like 75. And I went out and shot 73, 72, 73. And I finished second at the regional championship, qualified for nationals. And then that was when it kind of set in. Like I had set my goal to reach nationals and it was kind of like overwhelming. And I was like, oh man, you know, now what? And I went there and I kind of just kind of threw up on myself a little bit. I didn't play that great. You know, 
I was frustrated, but then that motivation to go back again was then what fired me up to, for the next season. Um, my team ended up winning the conference. So my t- whole team went to, to regionals that year. I went to nationals again, and then I ended up finishing, you know, top 15, I think my senior year. So, you know, I just put in the work, like I just wanted to be better and I just kept grinding and I never stopped believing in myself. And even to this day, like I've never stopped believing that I was going to get to the LPGA tour and be successful. So that's the name of the game is just really believing in yourself and then putting in the work. That fires me up so much. Like you talk about a transition of not like a 10 year grind, but like literally from 2014 to basically the middle of 2016, you're talking about a night and day difference Mm -hmm. as a golfer and not just on the course. Like you said, you changed your physique. You changed the way you approached basically a lifestyle that, that that is, that is so incredible to me. And uh, you know, you hit on so many points there and kind of what I want to go back on, you know, you, you talked about being a range rat and then all of a sudden you started playing more. And then obviously you got in the gym and, and, and then you started talking course management too. There were so many things that you changed all at once. Was, was there any point in time that you looked at it and said like, this is foreign to me. And was that the, was that the point to make it foreign or, or was it just kind of like an idea of this is what it takes and, and this is what it's going to have to do to make myself that great player that wants to chase the LPGA tour. Well, like I said, I mean, I've always wanted to play on the LPGA tour. I've always, that's always been what I wanted to do. Um, and I feel like when you're an athlete in any sense of any sport, you you watch other professional athletes, you grow up watching other professional athletes and you look at them and you look at their practice, you listen to their interviews, you know, you're, you're into it. And I think in the back of your mind, you know what it takes, like, you know what you have to do, but then it's about, okay, am I going to do it? Am I willing to do it? Am I willing to make those changes? Am I willing to work out every day? Am I willing to change my diet? Am I willing, you know, all those things. So I think that's what can be a big, separating factor for anybody is that you know in the back of your mind you know you know what you got to do now are you willing to do it like how far are you willing to go to get it yeah Yeah, i think that's that's spot on uh, that's yeah that is spot on because like the key word that you said right there was athlete i mean at the end of the day we're athletes and this sport is becoming more of an athletic sport than than people realize i mean you need to put time on and off the course in order to get to where you want and you got to have a goal um, a mindset and a goal, like a determination. I mean, like you're just saying, you just, I mean, you, you were sun up the sun down at courses, you were on the range. And then, you know, you're like, all right, well, I'm doing all these, but what I, I know where I'm going to be. What's the next step. Mm-hmm. And you're like, one thing that really stuck out to me is the fact that you're like, I'm just going to play more because you can be, and I've, I've said this to like multiple friends and I, that like we're, we're trying to develop our games and get better. We're always trying to get better. Right. And it says like, to me, when you hit the range, the range is for fundamentals. But what really makes you a golfer is going out and playing on the course as much as you can, because you're going to learn so much there on the course, because that's where you learn the score. If you want to work on kind of the actual swing itself and the fundamentals, that's where you hit to the range. But if you want to get take, get to the next level, because you're going at the end of the day, you're, the name of the game is get the ball in in finishing 18 holes with the least amount of shots possible. 
That's the thing. It don't matter how you get there. Just that's how you want to do it. So getting out there and going out and playing golf and learning the score is like what you said right there is like, I'm just going to play more. You're doing everything else with it, but playing more just is like the jump start right there. And I, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not the, I'm no great, great golfer out there, but I've noticed when I've played a lot more, I found out more ways on how to get the ball, have my score drop significantly than what I was putting up numbers. Cause I was the same way, you know, when I first, like when I started like five or six years ago, learning the score, you know, I was shooting like high eighties, high nineties, even triple digits. And then the more I played, the more I figured out how to score and the lower my scores dropped. Yeah. I mean, and, and the biggest thing to learn from that is that you can't simulate different lies and different shot shapes when you're on the range. Like there's no way. Cause you, at the end of the day, even if you try and change up your lie or you try and change up your stance or you try and do all these things, there's no pressure. You have a bucket full of mulligans in front of you. Of course you're going to figure it out. But when you're standing there in the moment and you have to think, okay, this ball is sitting down. It's above my feet. It's below my feet. How's it going to react? And then, adding that to your your golf IQ and adding that to your mental bank of like, okay, I've had this shot before and I know how it's going to come out. You can't do that on the range. And that was the big learning curve for me. And even is still now, like I won't, I will have to have three to four days of bad golf swings before I will step on the range and hit a bucket of balls. You know what I mean? Like, aside from that, like, no, it, maybe I had just had a bad swingy day. But if it's like four things, like a four days straight where it's like bad, then I'll go to the range, try and figure it out. If it leads to like a week and a half, then I'll call my coach and be like, okay, I'm running into some problems here. Let's let's try and figure this out. But aside from that, like if you want to improve your scores and you want to get better as a player, whether you're an amateur or, you know, spying pro or you want to play in college, like whatever it is, you have to play. You You have to get out on the course. There, there's no better way to say my coach always used to have a, a funny saying for it. He called it the reckless range rat. And it, it, it it's kind of true. I mean, the more balls you hit, the more you get lost in kind of just smashing balls instead of really figuring out. And if you're not there for the right reasons and, and really focusing on a couple key fundamentals, you can get lost in hitting range balls. Um, and something else you said that I think is so relatable to every golfer out there when you were really making this transition of becoming a true player was getting lost and hitting driver too much. You know, how have you sort of learned to not, I guess, dial in the distance, but understand where distance is necessary and, and how to back that down when needed to. Well, for me, it's, it's pretty much number-based. It's based on how long the hole is and what's in trouble, um, what's in trouble off the tee. Um, for the most part, like at this point, I'm very accurate with my driver. I, have, I know which way it's going to miss. I know how big the miss will be. But, you know, if there's a chance for me to hit something with, you know, more loft, which the miss gets even smaller – then and still have a wedge or a nine iron or eight iron in my hand, like I'm going to play smart because I know I'm still going to hit it close. So why bring in that miss into play if it's not necessary? Whereas before it was kind of all about, I'm going to hit this as far as I possibly can. I don't care what number I have in. Now it's like, okay, no, we got to be a little bit more strategic here. Like I don't, I know right now, you know, 50 yard, 60 yard little flip wedges are not my strength. That's what I work on right now. Wedges are the name of the game. But you put me, you put me anywhere from 100 to 
145 yards out, I'm sticking that thing. So like off the tee, I don't necessarily have to hit driver every time. Now, if it's a par five and it's gettable, yeah, I'm going to hit driver because I want to be on in two. I want to have a look at Eagle. So it's about recognizing your scoring opportunities and not, you know, taking your ego out on the course and just trying to hit bombs all day, because that's not necessarily how you're going to shoot the low score that you're capable of. Cause at the end of the day, it's you against the course. It's not you against the field. You're trying to put up a number for yourself. When I think the way you talked about it numbers wise too, is what really transitioned so many collegiate players um, into really fine professional players is, is all the analytics, all the numbers, the, the constant looking back and forth and what your highest probability is of scoring. Um, let's, let's kind of move towards that. Like, what has your transition been like from the collegiate play into the professional play and how has some of these professional tournaments, um, you know, treated you and, and what is your experience like kind of making that transition from the college golf to the professional ranks? Sure. So <clears throat> now granted, I only have one sponsor and tournaments are very, very expensive. Um, so I don't have a ton of experience competing in, the professional events. I had just gotten my status on the Symmetra tour in 2019 after going to Q school and then COVID they cut the field. I didn't get into any events. So it's kind of like, what are you going to do about that? You can't do anything other than just continue to practice. Been a weird year. And <laughs> yeah, very weird year. But, um, you know, the biggest thing and the biggest thing for me was learning to not think about it. Like the money you can't go out and play and think about, Oh my God, this is my paycheck. You know, this is my student loan. This is my, my rent for this month. Like you can't look at it like that, even though it is that because you're working at a golf course, you know, you're doing all those things to try and make some sort of money to put back into golf to then compete. And then you're trying to make more money and, you know, continue that process. You can't look at it like you're playing for that money. Like that's your paycheck. That's, that's you eating for that week. You know what I mean? So I was fortunate enough that my coach, um, I mentioned her name earlier, Alana Swain, her boyfriend was also a PGA tour. Um, he was an instructor. Sorry, he was a PGA instructor. <laughs> and he had tried to compete. He had done all that. And he is an incredible player. He is one of the greatest players I've ever played with. Now, when I met my coach, she said, Camden, you know, you need to play in matches. You need to play in matches for an uncomfortable amount of money to make you learn from it and I was like okay so Pete was the lucky candidate <laughs> and so we started playing in these matches um this started about three years ago and what it had taught me was how to play and not think about the money how to play and not think about how much that putt is worth how to play and not think about how much you're down going in three holes left you're down two and there's 200 bucks on the line like you don't think about that. You think about making birdies. You think about shooting low scores. So that was a big learning curve for me. And that now has changed how I look at competition golf. And I go out and I just try and shoot low scores. I don't think about trying to make that paycheck because I know at the end of the day, like I will get there. I just have to be patient and I just have to continue to put in the reps and get the experience in the tournaments and do that. So I was fortunate and I feel very fortunate that I have both Alana Swain and Pete to help me learn those lessons and to help me make that transition a little bit easier. Um, now it's, you know, I just go out, like I said, I just go out and play in my tournaments and I do my thing. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the big learning experience for me. 
Well, there's something to be said about having that almost comfort of just going out there and being able to do your thing because there's a lot of people that get hung up in that step alone, making that transition from not being able to, you know, really put aside the pressure and put aside the, the ability to say, well, this is worth so much money. You know, this matters more than a normal golf shot. And at the end of the day, it doesn't golf shots, a golf shot. And, and that's, it's, it's incredible to, to hear you kind of approach it from the way you do and say, you've gotten over that hump and just being able to go play your golf game now. And that to me is exciting as a, as a, other competitive player and i know dante can can kind of confirm the same thing once you get over that the the world's kind of at your fingertips as far as what you can go accomplish on a golf course yeah my kind of new mentality is like well if i don't play well i'm not gonna die so it's okay (laughs) (laughs) you've always got tomorrow after a bad round yeah or a bad shot like i'm not gonna die if i hit this ball in the water like i'm just gonna go up and i'm gonna try and save par save bogey like i'm not I am not going to die right now. Everything is okay. And that kind of just like takes it back. Like, oh yeah, it's just a game. It's golf. Do your thing. I love that. That's uh, that, that's really something I think we all could learn from, whether we're playing for a club championship or a better ball event or, you know, yourself uh, looking to get yourself onto the LPGA tour. It's something that's an admirable trait. And I think, you know, we all wish we had a little more of it. <laughs> <laughs> takes a while. It takes a lot of patience above anything else to learn that one. But there's that yes. 10,000 hour rule. And I think that uh, that's probably one of the biggest ones. So take us through kind of the future outlook. I know you said you only have one current sponsor um, and that can be tough when, when trying to make it out in the either Symmetra tour or getting yourself onto some Monday qualifier events. What's the outlook look like for 2021? If we have a semi-normal year, no one really knows what, you know, the full scope Mm -hmm. of 2021 is going to look like, but what's the, you know, greatest outlook, what's your hope you know, highest achievement hopes of 2021 getting into as many tournaments as you can. And, and what does that might look like? And, and where can people go to support you even uh, through this journey? So right now, what I am focusing on is some LPGA Monday qualifiers that are in January. I kind of look at my season as like one thing at a time. Um, I focus in on that. I think about that course, trying whatever it's going to take to shoot the lowest number possible to then get into that event. Um, so that's, what I'm focusing on. Ideally, yeah, I want to play in as many Symmetra Tour events as I can because, you know, at the end of the day, the goal is to compete and be successful in the LPGA Tour. So you got to go through the Symmetra Tour to get there. Um, so right now, like I said, those two LPGA Mondays are middle of January and then the end of January. And then after that, there's a bit of a break before the Symmetra Tour really kicks off. Um, you know, people, if they do take an interest and they want to follow, I post a lot of stuff on, um, on Instagram and a lot of stuff about my story on Instagram and that's C Morrison golf. Um, and then I do have a GoFundMe page and I started that as like a way for, you know, the average person to say, Hey, you know, maybe I have 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. And I want to give this to someone who's trying to chase their dream. And, you know, I, that means the world to me because I know how much goes into that $50. Like I said, I've always worked at golf courses. So, you know, I respect that and it means the world to me. So I do have that going, but um, mainly it's just compete and just do everything I can to get to the end of that and get onto the LPGA tour. I love that. And as someone who I, I myself also grew up, 
working at golf courses, whether it was bag boy, cart boy in the pro shop a little bit, it was always, that was my means to play the game. So um, as someone who really relates to that guys, I highly support, uh, you know, go look at her Instagram, obviously see the, see the day in day out grind she's putting in. Um, you you kind of let people in on your everyday adventures in the game. And I think that's really neat as well. There's a lot of people who uh, aren't so, I guess, you know, public with the way they approach their, their grind. And, and I think that's really neat to allow people to kind of see the way, you know, what you do day to day. It's really neat to have that little, uh, eye in on, on a life inside someone chasing their dreams. And it, it's really neat to follow along with, uh, and, and, you know, also the GoFundMe page. I think there, there's so many things that can be said about supporting someone who's chasing their dream. Um, and guys, I highly, highly want you to go hopefully support this. If you can GoFundMe.com. uh, she has, I think, the link in your bio, if I'm not mistaken. I do. Instagram. Yep, it's in the bio. Yep. So, guys, go to the Instagram, check it out, go support any way you can. I know it would mean the world to Camden. I know it would mean the world to us as someone who's, you know, beneficiary enough to let Camden have a little bit of our time. It's been awesome. Um, and, you know, I just think it's it's neat to see uh, what's possible when you really put your nose to the grindstone and, and really improve yourself. Uh, four or five years ago you were averaging mid 80s now you're chasing the tour life it's it's something that's truly remarkable thank you i really appreciate that yeah so just gotta keep grinding keep doing it <laughs> well it's absolutely going to be a fun journey i know for us to follow along with so guys again camden morrison symmetra tour rookie uh we look to see more and more of you out in 2021 as you, as you chase your dreams and hopefully knock down a couple w's in the process yeah, sounds like a plan. That's that's the goal right there. Awesome. Love to hear it, Camden. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Till next time, guys, as always, follow us at Enjoy the Walk Pod on Instagram and Twitter, where you can follow us along throughout the winter here and into the spring as we head out to the Palm Springs Golf Championship. And that was Camden Morrison. You can follow her on Instagram at cmorrison underscore golf. Uh, check her out, guys. She's an absolute treat to follow. Shut it up.